2: Hi, I'm Derek O'Reilly, and for over 30 years, I've been a licensed London taxi driver. For 20 years, I taught the knowledge to prospective London cab drivers. During this podcast, I'm going to be joined by experts who are going to bring the forgotten and secret history of London to life. Today, we're going to look at the really dark side of the East End and discuss the Jack the Ripper murders. Hi, today I'm joined by a very good friend, and a very knowledgeable
0: person. Hello, I'm David Charnick. I guide extensively in Tower Hamlets, the original East End, but I'm also a qualified City of London guide, and I teach tour guiding through the London Borough of Tower Hamlets. Well, once again, nice to see you, David. Ah, it's good to see you, Derek. Now,
2: you and I have had plenty of discussions about the East End and what life was like and what crimes were committed, etc. hmm Now, no discussion about the East End is complete without the mention of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, you can't avoid that. Oh, absolutely. Now, I lived um, just off of Lehman Street for many years. And um, during my own personal research, I found lots of connections to Jack the Ripper within that area. Now, they're known as the Whitechapel Murders. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they didn't
0: actually happen in Whitechapel, did they, David? That's right. Yeah, um, for the pedantic amongst us, <laughs> the the first murder, Marianne Nichols, was committed in uh, what we call Whitechapel now, it was really Mile End, Newtown, and that was part of the Bethnal Green Police District Division J of the Metropolitan Police. Annie Chapman and Mary Jane Kelly were killed in Spitalfields. Catherine Eddowes was killed in Mitre Square, which is actually in the city of London, which has its own police force. And Elizabeth Stride was killed just to the south of Commercial Road in the parish of St George in the East. And the little mortuary chapel where her body was kept before the inquest is actually still there in the churchyard of St George in the East, just off of the the highway as it's known now, or Ratcliffe Highway as it used to be.
2: So to give us a sense of perspective and history, Mm. what year did these murders take place?
0: They took place in the autumn of 1888, so beginning on Friday the 31st of August. And in our previous
2: chats, we know that um, the area was blighted by poverty and street crimes, etc. That's absolutely correct. Okay, so I'm trying to build an image in my mind again to get away from this smoky, Mm. dreary East End. (laughs) So let's discuss Jack Mm. or... Can I have
0: your theory? Jack or Jill, yeah. Tell me more, David. (laughs) (laughs) There is a theory that goes back, well, almost to the killings themselves, that the murderer was a woman rather than a man. And as I say, this is the Jill the Ripper theory, as in Jack and Jill. And it's a theory that's had some very famous supporters. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, the famous private consulting detective, he subscribed to the theory. I mean, he didn't come up with it, but he heard it and thought it was very plausible. So can you start by explaining why you
2: think a woman could have committed these crimes. Give me some sort of factual evidence.
0: Well, there are details that support the theory. Um, One of them is that the victims were stunned before they had their throats cut. And this would mean that less physical strength was required, if any, to subdue the victim, because if the victim's unconscious or semi-conscious... So how would they have been stunned? I mean, what method would have been used... Various methods. The first victim, Marianne Nichols, she had bruising to the face, which was consistent with a blow from either a really strong fist or a blunt instrument. Whereas Annie Chapman, the second victim, she was partially throttled with the uh, neckerchief or scarf that she was wearing, so she passed out. So uh, anything that was to hand to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of improvisation about the killings if you actually look at them. And how was this, you know, how did they know that these people had been stunned? Well, from medical evidence, as I say, with Marianne Nichols, you've actually got the bruising on the face that was consistent with a blow. And with Annie Chapman, I mean, all the victims had their throats cut, so she's got a throat cut, but there were also marks, ligature marks, to show that she'd been partially throttled. So the post-mortem would have (laughs) indicated this? Yes, that's right,
2: yeah. Post-mortem examination. Okay. Okay. And um, I know there's been several people put forward as the Ripper, so, but I, I, I will ignore them for now. I'm more concerned with the idea that it was a woman. It, it, mm. You know,
0: I've not heard it before. Um, mm. So can you sort of tell me more? Yeah, the fact is that the signature of the Ripper killings, you know, the, the thing that makes them unique, includes the fact that the uterus or womb was cut out and taken away. and so the theory sort of built up around that that you know it sort of gained significance because of what a womb is uh, and that therefore it was a woman who couldn't have children and who therefore resented women who could, and bearing in mind that the victims of the ripper killings were either full-time prostitutes or women who resorted to casual prostitution to try and make ends meet. You know, they were trying to make a a more regular and safer living, but inevitably they turned to casual prostitution. Um, And... A prostitute is a woman who wouldn't want to be pregnant because it would be a professional hindrance or encumbrance. And so they wouldn't want children. And if they got pregnant, they, by and large, want to get rid of it. Did the police at the time ever follow
2: this theory? Did they ever sort of investigate it as as a clue?
0: I've not come across anything that suggested that they were arresting any women. They certainly arrested a lot of men. Loads of men were arrested, but inevitably released fairly quickly because it was clear that they weren't the perpetrators. Okay, so let's look at the areas of the crimes. Can Mm -hmm. we sort of
2: take them individually, you know, briefly? Certainly.
0: Well, we begin with Marianne Nichols, and she was killed about... Three o'clock, possibly as late as half past three on the morning of Friday, the 31st of August, 1888. And her body was found about 20 to four in the morning by a man called Charles Cross, who worked for Pickford's. Pickford's Cartridge Company became Pickford's Removals. Oh, yeah. I know that and man. Yeah. So he was on his way to work. He was coming down what was then Buck's Row, which is now Durwood Street. And he saw what he thought was a tarpaulin or a piece of large cloth, in the entrance to a stable yard, brown stable yard. And he went over to pick it up because he thought, I could use that. And when he got closer, it was clear that it was the dress on a dead body. But there was no street lighting. You've got to remember that. The nearest street light was right down the end of the street on Brady Street and that's a significant distance away. There's no way the light from that could have reached the spots on Durwood Street, or Buck's Row as it was, where the body was found. So the uh, the police were summoned, and about four o'clock, the police doctor, Dr Llewellyn, turned up, and he made what examination he could, and he could tell that it was a woman who'd had a throat cut, And going by temperature and so on, he estimated she'd been dead between 30 and 60 minutes. So this was about four o'clock. So believed time of death was three to half past three. Right. And how quickly did the second murder follow? Fairly quickly, just over a week later, that was Saturday the 8th of September. That was the murder of Annie Chapman, who was, well, she was found, presumably killed in the backyard at number 29 Hanbury Street, which is no longer there. And did the police quickly link the two? Very quickly. The inquests were held just about a week after each other and the links were quite clear. Both victims had been killed very quickly. They'd been stunned, as we've mentioned, and then their throats were cut with a very sharp knife. But then the bodies were mutilated post-mortem and you get a bit of escalation, which is what you would expect from a serial killer who is, you know, getting some sort of adrenaline rush. You need to go a bit further. So whereas with Marianne Nichols, her uterus had been cut away and taken away, uh, cut out through one of the sort of great slashes to her abdomen. With Annie Chapman, her intestines had been pulled out and draped round her shoulders. And there was more evidence of cutting to the body, a bit more frenzied. And also, the uterus hadn't come away cleanly. The tops of her bladder and vagina had come with it. So I'm trying not to get too detailed. Yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. It's an no, indication. No, I, think, I suppose because of the nature of the crimes, mm. they're going to sound a little bit
2: gory, you know, as, as we're discussing them. Um, mm. You mentioned the term serial killer. Did the, yeah. the police presumably didn't embrace that term in those days, or did they?
0: Not as far as I can see. I mean, all this seems to have been quite new. So, I mean, there were cases before of linked murders. I mean, you go back to 1811 and you get the Ratcliffe Highway murders of December 1811, where two families were killed. Within twelve days down in, in Ratcliffe, so not too far from the London docks.
2: Right. So this type of crime wasn't as unusual as it was perceived then, multiple
0: killings? I think that it was more the, the sort of the number of killings and also the the mutilation post mortem.
2: Yeah, that was yeah. a
0: relatively new thing.
2: So we've talked about murder number one we've Mm. talked about murder number two yeah
0: 12 days apart Mm -hmm. let's move on to murder number three well you get a gap of just over three weeks that's the thing and nothing happens until the early hours of the morning of sunday the 30th of september so you got from the 8th to the 30th so nearly 22 days and Nothing's happening as far as murdering is concerned, but there's a lot happening as far as the police are concerned. They're running around arresting all sorts of men, but then having to let them go again, as I say, quite quickly, because it's clear they're not the killer.
2: And the operation was based around Lehman Street Police Station, am I correct? That's
0: correct, yes, yeah. I mean, that's another thing to consider. Um, Although the Metropolitan Police had come into being in 1829... The CID, the Specialist Investigation Department, the Detective Department, had only been in place since 1878. So that's just 10 years before the Ripper killings, and so it was relatively new. So their methods of investigation would have
2: been quite basic and very new.
0: Yeah. A lot of this stuff was, you know, a, a new idea, you know, and they were having to cope with trying to understand why these things were done and and why someone would slash up a victim's body like that. Well, I think
2: we'd still ask that today, to be honest with you, but uh, it must have been very difficult for them to comprehend. Mm. So let's now discuss the third murder, which you said happened 22 days after the second
0: murder. Mm. You have actually two murders. It's known as the double event and so you get the murders of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes within three quarters of an hour of each other. Right. Now, where were they found? Right. Elizabeth Stride, like Mary Ann Nichols, was found in the entrance to a stable yard, a duckfield yard in this case, on Berner Street, which is now Henrique Street, just to the south of Commercial Street. Oh, I know it very Street well. I used to live around the corner from there. Uh huh. Near um, yeah, back Church Lane. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, it has to be said, though, that there's nothing there to see of the actual crime scene. In fact that, that's the case throughout. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's nothing
2: marked, no plaques anywhere, is there?
0: No, no. No.
2: Um, Not that you'd necessarily <laughs> want them to be there. It's a bit, you know, morbid to think that way. But it
0: is dark history, but then you know, we, we can't forget the darkness. You know? No. If we do we're in danger of repeating it. Yeah, no, absolutely man's inhumanity to man, mm. etc. So David, who found the body? The body of Elizabeth Stride was found by Louis Diemschutz, and he was the steward of a political radical club that was just across the road from Duckfield Yard. And he'd come down the road with his horse and cart, and the horse wouldn't go into the stable yard, and he didn't know why. So he went over and had a look, and that's when he found the dead body there in the entrance to the stable yard now he must have taken his coat off and put it over the horse's head because he managed to get it into the yard with the cart obviously but the horse was still sort of skittish and nervous inside the yard and Deemschutz went across to the the club now this is just gone one in the morning but they were dedicated political radicals and they were still singing political songs and so on you know so uh, the police were summoned and the body was recovered and examined. And it was Elizabeth Stride who was, again, a professional prostitute. She was actually Swedish. Uh, she was Elizabeth Gustav Stottier, And she had come to London in the 1860s with a Swedish family as a maid and married John Stride, who was a ship's carpenter. And they opened a coffee shop near the docks in Poplar, but the marriage broke down and she gravitated towards Whitechapel and Spitalfields. Uh, so she's the only um, victim who was not from the British Isles. Right.
2: But um, So now we've got three murders mm. and obviously they were all linked. Yeah. And very quickly we had a fourth.
0: That's right, yeah. Because the thing about Elizabeth Stride is that, like the others, she had a throat cut and that's how she was killed but the body otherwise was untouched. She was not mutilated. Do you think she was disturbed or the killer was disturbed? This is it. It's believed that the killer was disturbed because the killer would have heard Deem Schutz's horse and cart coming along because you've got the iron horseshoes and the the iron tyres on the cartwheels on the cobbles. Could explain why the horse didn't want to go into the yard. Well, this is it. That's why it's sort of understood that the horse was, as I mentioned, sort of quite nervous and skittish inside, because it's understood that the killer sort of retreated further into the yard, and the horse sensed that there was someone there who was, you know, on edge and and nervy and so on, and that's why he was responding. And when Deemschutz went to get help, it's believed that that's when the killer made an escape and ran up the road heading sort of northwestwards and ended up on Mitre Square. And right. it's, just, the um, it's in the
2: city of London. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's right. It's just inside the boundaries of the city. And uh, of course, the city has its own police force. Right. So it actually came into a new uh, jurisdiction, as it were. Right. Because Mitre Square is just off of Leadenhall Street, effectively, isn't it? Around the back there. Yeah, it's just round the back, just along from St Butthof's Church. Mm. So the reason
2: I'm so intrigued, do we know what time this murder was committed? We
0: know exactly when it was committed, and it's really a, a testimony to how frenzied this killer actually was. Because at half past one in the morning, PC Edward Watkins of the city police, he'd come through mitre square and there was nobody there he was going on his beat you know doing his rounds that was half past one in the morning 25 to 2 one three men came round the corner from duke's place you know leads up to bevis marks yes and they'd been drinking in a club on duke's place and they come round the corner and they saw uh, Catherine eddowes the fourth victim talking to a man Ten minutes later, at a quarter to two, so 1:45, Edward Watkins came through again, and found her body on the ground, and so.
1: Ready to pop the question.
0: Because she'd been killed and mutilated and the killer had escaped within a 10-minute maximum frame, time frame. And she was mutilated pretty mercilessly. Um, Again, without going into too much detail, um, her uterus had been cut away again, but uh, again clumsily, leaving a little stump of flesh behind. And her intestines again had been pulled out like Annie Chapman and draped over her shoulder. Um, But the killer had also taken away a kidney. And there were lots of slashes to the face and arms and so on. It was really frenzied. But bearing in mind this killer killed her and then carried out all these mutilations in less than 10 minutes and managed to get away as Mm -hmm. well, Um, it shows how quickly the killer was working and how frenzied these attacks were. And so presumably indicating that this killer was getting that sort of adrenaline rush from the mutilations. So,
2: yeah, dreadful. So Mm. we've now got to murder number four. Mm -hmm. What happens next?
0: Nothing. For over a month. What happened the following morning, though, not in, in terms of actual killings, was a great deal of public resentment. You know the, the, the feelings have been boiling over for a while because it seemed the police were doing nothing you know obviously they were doing what they could given the uh, circumstances but there was a big public gathering on burner street near where uh, elizabeth stride's body had been found at brown's sorry duckfield stable yard and also at lehman street police station you mentioned lehman street well Michael Kidney, who was the man who lived with Elizabeth Stride, the third victim, he was blind drunk, and he just barged his way into the police station started shouting his mouth off, you know, why are you doing nothing to catch the man who killed my woman? And as I say, you know, they were doing what they could, but the police were trying to cope with a new kind of killing, a new approach to killing. But as I say... No murders for quite some time, for more than a month, until the 9th of November. And what murder are we up to now? Number... Number five. Number five, And that is Mary Jane Kelly. And again, a full-time prostitute. I should mention that Annie Chapman and Catherine Eddowes, they were two victims who weren't full-time prostitutes. They were trying to make their way in sort of more regular, safer ways but inevitably resorting to casual prostitution. To yeah, I suppose economic sense, sense is forced them into that. Yeah. Exactly, yes. But Mary Jane Kelly, um, a bit of a mystery woman. We don't know a great deal about her. We don't even know exactly how old she was. It's believed she was aged about 23 to 25. Um, she made a thing of being Irish, you know, Kelly and everything, although yeah. she was actually brought up in Wales. Oh, right. And she according to what is understood, she'd been to Paris with a client, you know, as a a prostitute. Uh, She didn't like Paris, and so she came back to London. And she was found dead on the morning of the 9th of November, 1888. And that was the most gruesome moment in the the story. Tell me more, please, David. Well, um, she owed rent some weeks worth of rent and Thomas Bowman who was the agent for Joe McCarthy the landlord he called round that morning to try and collect some rent now he knew that you know she'd be working through the night because of what she did for a living so he turned up about quarter to eleven and so he thought well she'd be in bed asleep so I'll knock her up so he knocked on the door didn't get any response And the thing was, they had a broken window by the door because they'd lost their key. Well, sorry, I say they. She lived with a man called uh, Joseph Barnett. And they'd lost their key. So what they did was, when they went out, they'd shut the door and then reach through the broken window and pull the bolt across to shut it. And then when they came home, they'd reach through, push the bolt back and open the door. So not very secure, but they didn't have anything worth stealing. So um, anyway... At that point, um, they had actually split up, so she was living there on her own. So, Bowman put his hand through the hole in the window, moved the curtains across and looked in, and that's when he saw her body on the bed. Now, he was an old soldier, and if you're an old soldier in the Victorian period, you will have seen horrible things on the battlefield. But what he saw sent him scurrying up the streets, to Joe McCarthy, to the landlord, said come back and see this. And so Joe McCarthy came back and he looked through the window, he said, go up the road to the police station, get the police straight away. So off he went, Bowman, up Commercial Street to the police station, which is still there, up towards the top of Commercial Street, although it's not a police station anymore. And he went in, he said, it's this, this, another Ripper victim, Jack the Ripper's up again. So by that time, the nickname had sort of been circulating a while. Right, so they were calling him Jack the Ripper Mm. then. Right, That's right. And so uh, the police came back with him. And at first, the instruction was not to go in, because this was the first murder committed indoors. So they wanted to get tracker dogs. So Charles Warren, the commissioner of the, the Metropolitan Police, wanted to get tracker dogs in so that they could try and pick up a scent but it took so long to organise them that the local inspector said, "I'll oh, just break the door down. So they went in and then they saw her on the bed and without wanting to go into too much detail, basically she'd been emptied, her abdomen had been opened up. It wasn't slashed across like the other victims. The flesh had literally been cut away, creating a cavity. Well, I suppose
2: operating indoors, he would have had much more time to be as brutal as he wanted to, or as she wanted to. I going to say, he or she.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And the organs had been taken out, but arranged around the body. So the only thing that was taken away was her heart. So bearing in mind, up until now, the three of the four victims to date have had their uterus removed. And then the last one, Catherine Eddowes, had a kidney taken away. But the only thing taken away of Mary Jane Kelly's was her heart the rest of the body parts were arranged around her body obviously there was blood all over the walls and everything um, and uh, the flesh on her legs had been cut away at some points down to the bone Uh, obviously as I say this is all post-mortem yeah but pretty grim Right. Strangely
2: enough, the one thing I know about Mary Kelly is that she's buried in St. Patrick's Cemetery in Leytonstone. Mm. Um, I know that because I went to school around the corner from then. It was always a talking point. Right. So going back, was, was Mary Kelly the last victim?
0: Yeah. She's the last of the, as it were, the official victims, what's known as the canonical Although there have been violent killings since then that people have tried to say that are Ripper murders, and in fact there have been killings prior to that that people have tried to link in with the Ripper killings, but they just don't fit the signature. Right. Funnily enough, talking about the police, when they cleared the ground on the Victoria Embankment to build New Scotland Yard, they were demolishing the houses there and they found a torso. So no head, no arms, no legs. And some people have suggested that that was the victim of a ripper killing. And you have to ask, how? Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, no,
2: no. I mean, again, um, as a layman, Mm. to me, the ripper killings all happened within a certain area and anything that happened outside was probably done by or committed by somebody else. Can I just explore your Mm. Jill the Ripper theory again with you? (laughs) not really my theory <laughs> well you you seem to be well i suppose agreeing with the theory to a certain extent
0: what it is i i do a guided tour about the Ripper, perhaps inevitably who can say um just looking at these things in what i'd like to say is a no-nonsense approach just looking at the basics and and what happened and why and just questioning it all um, so, for instance, the, the uterus thing, I think that could just have been opportunistic because, as I mentioned, um, the uterus is used as one of the arguments for a female perpetrator. But the thing about the uterus is the uterus or womb is, the, is in the abdomen. And the abdomen is the only part of the body that's not protected by bone, so it's very easy to cut into the abdomen because it's all soft tissue. And the least complicated organ in there is the womb or uterus because it's basically a flesh balloon. So it's easy if you're rummaging around inside a female corpse, which I hasten to add that I have never done. Um, you can, you'd grab this and you think, oh, hang on a minute, this is easy to get out. You know, it's not attached by anything except the mouth so you can sort of follow your arm down with your knife hand and then snip it off take it away
2: okay because there is obviously (coughs) or there was speculation um, that it was a surgeon who'd committed these murders other people said it was a butcher Mm. um, that you would had to have some sort of anatomical knowledge or you knew how to you know, use a knife against flesh.
0: Yeah, that was, that all came up in the inquest into the death of Annie Chapman, the second victim. So she was killed on the Saturday the 8th. So the inquest was held on the 10th, on the Monday, and then adjourned for two weeks to allow the police to carry out their investigations. But during that hearing, the police surgeon put forward the idea that... The killer was a medical man, possibly a surgeon, but all the medical witnesses said no. They said there's no indication here of a surgeon's hand, or medical hand, but they said it probably someone who is used to cutting up flesh, but not human flesh, and that's where the idea of the butcher came in. Right, and as you've just said, um,
2: that part of the body is easily accessible once mm. you've, you've you've committed your crime.
0: That's right, yeah. Yeah. But coming back to um, my idea, (laughs) which I think is my idea, I came to it independently, but um, I haven't haven't really formulated a theory, as it were, but um, as I say, looking just at these killings as a moment in history, just looking to what actually happened, if you look at the killing of Mary Jane Kelly, it doesn't fit the signature Remember, as I said, the uterus or womb is removed in all the victims that were mutilated because Elizabeth Stride wasn't mutilated and taken away. But it wasn't in the case of Mary Jane Kelly. And it wasn't that it was forgotten. It was actually placed under her head with one of her breasts and both of her kidneys. So it was part of the arrangement. And again, the kidneys were left by as well. The only thing that was taken away was the heart. So... I think it's more than likely she was the victim of a copycat killer. And you were saying about the killing occurring indoors and giving the killer more time to mutilate the body. Well, look at the other four victims. Where were they killed? Two of them were killed in the entrance to stable yards. And this is a time when you didn't have engines, and so your cart or your barrow, whatever, would be pulled by a horse or a pony. So stable yards were active places. They were busy places. And certainly early in the early hours of the morning, because people were going in there to get their cart ready and the horses ready to go yeah. out to do their business. So they were busy places. Mitre Square was out in the open on the pavement. And we know that people came through there because... As we've already discussed, the policeman came through at half past one and then three drinkers came round the corner five minutes later. So people came through. And you could say that Annie Chapman, she was killed in the backyard at 29 Hanbury Street. So oh, that was quite private, which doesn't hold much water because in those days you had multiple occupations. So uh, a whole family would live in one room. So the, the house itself wasn't being used by just one family. And so people tended not to lock the doors. They just left them open. And people would cut through rather than going to the end of the street and round. And we know that was happening at 29 Hambury Street because of witness statements at the inquest. So all four victims were killed at a place where the killer could have been interrupted either while killing or while carrying out the post-mortem mutilations. And in the case of Elizabeth Stride, seemingly was interrupted before the body could be mutilated. So this is someone who is either wanting to be caught or is just pushing their luck, you know, and getting that sort of thrill, of what they could get away with in the time. And remembering the frenzied attack on Catherine Eddowes. The, lots were done, um, to her body, and also I didn't mention uh, half of one of her ears was cut away as well, uh, suggesting that the killer had tried to cut the ear away and found out it was far more difficult to cut an ear off than they'd thought, oh, which yeah. again might militate it against being a, a medical person.
2: Yeah. Because- well, of course, if you're criminally insane and a lunatic mm. and you're committing these offences... Yeah. Um, you're not going to be aware of of what's around you, or
0: are you? I think that, um, I mean, that this person would have known that they were in a place where they could be disturbed. You know, I mean, it would be quite plain that if you're killing someone on the pavement, that you're killing them out in the open air, that you could be disturbed at any time. And... Again, going back to the time, I mean, we have to remember that stable yards were busy places, but people knew that at the time. Mm. So, yeah, but so why now, if someone is actually getting that sort of rush, why are they now so coy and doing it indoors? So what's your theory? Well, one thing you need to remember as well is that all the victims were in their mid-40s, mid to late 40s, except Mary Jane Kelly. They say, we don't know exactly how old she was, but we know that she was young, about 23, 25. So she was approximately half the age of the other women. She was younger, so she would have been fitter. Was she the Ripper? It's worth considering. And maybe she was killed by someone attached to one of the previous victims, possibly Michael Kidney, that fellow who went blasting through the police station, uh, blind drunk, and having a go at the police for not, um, you know, catching the person who'd killed Elizabeth Stride, his woman. And And do you think
2: that, um, for example, he would have found out that Mary Kelly was the
0: Ripper and that's why he took revenge? Well, I think that's a possibility. That might account for the fact that it's over a month after the the double event, you know, maybe something happened and he found out. And don't forget that the uh, inquests were reported in the local newspapers. So it would be very easy to stage a copycat killing because you would know uh, most of, at least, of the details of the killings. So you would know that they were... You know, quite barbarous post mortem mutilations. Well, David, the
2: one thing that I've found out, sort of through reading De the stories down the years, mm-hmm. is that there are numerous theories, mm-hmm. there are numerous suspects. Mm-hmm. So I'm really pleased that you've thrown your hat in the ring and give me another <laughs> one
0: to consider. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's just an idea that literally just came to me. I just thought, well, step back. And look at the details. Yeah. Because you get so many theories that are put forward and they have their own internal logic, but you need to say, right, well, that's the theory, but does it fit the facts? And just look at the actual details, what actually happened. And um, to be frank, I've not come across any theory that would stand up in a court of law, and I think that's the yardstick that you would have to use. David? Once again thank you very very much it's been most enlightening well thank you for joining me in the dark side of the east end <laughs> thank you.